Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And what if we made the whole pod out of emergency podcasts? It only feels that way over the past week. A fourth emergency pod has hit the Pelton cast. The University of Washington football team has a head coach. The city of Seattle now up to one of two head coaching positions filled. Obviously, the Seahawks search moving slower based on the NFL rules at the timing of the calendar there. But uh, the Huskies had to move quickly after Kalen DeBoer's departure to Alabama. And they did on Sunday afternoon, officially naming Arizona's Jed Fish their next football coach. Tristan, your immediate reaction. I'm hyped on this move. As much as you can be for a head coach, I I started doing really digging into kind of the research on the different coaching candidates yesterday. Uh, I don't want to say that Katie and I repeated all the research that I had previously done. I, I went and did it. Fund. I did it myself. I went and did it myself. You, you know, I had to do my own independent research. <laughs> you verified it. And se- settled at exactly where you settled, I think. Uh, Katie, Katie was arguing about how things would never be the same again. And so the offense in particular. So I had to go look at the three primary candidates, uh, Jed Fish, and then the two coaches from Kansas. And Pete Carroll. But I think I've done enough research on Pete Carroll. Oh, I have and, ample, ample research on Pete Carroll's career. At the end of looking at each of those candidates a little bit more in depth, because there's something different from we've speculated about it and on emergency podcast versus these are the actual candidates that we're pretty confidently aware of. I will say the candidates we talked about probably were the finalists for the job. So there, it, there was no it sure seems like field it. higher. This is not when UW hired Mike Hopkins as men's basketball coach, and we had never even considered the possibility that he would leave Syracuse, let alone that he would be a candidate to take the job. It, it was a very, very, honestly, it was a pretty normal search. And that was a kind of a strange search. This was, these are the obvious candidates for the job. Here are their ties to Seattle. Here's the reasons they would take it. Now they're interviewing and one of them was hired. But after going through that research, seeing the candidates, doing a little bit more, digging more in depth on these coaches, the place that I landed at was, again, this is Pete Carroll not being an option. Although, uh... But Pete Carroll not being an option, it would have been fun. I think we all knew that there was never a reasonable chance that Pete Carroll was going to take over University of Washington football. The place that I landed in that moment was that I wanted Jed Fish, but number one with a bullet, by a pretty significant margin, that Jed Fish was the guy for a handful of different reasons. And I, I maybe we want to dive into all, all three of these independently, but to me, there are three main points and three main reasons why Jed Fish is the ideal candidate and a good replacement for Kalen DeBoer as head coach for the Washington Huskies. So should I go through all three of them now? Should we do them one by one and talk further about them? I guess the first question is, should we talk about the Ryan Grubb element of this? Because you mentioned that. I want to get there. Let's like... get there. All the other stuff at the end. I want to get okay. to all. I want to talk about Jedfish first and, and the, the, the primary reasons and then talk about Kalen DeBoer, talk about Ryan Grubb, talk about everybody else, all of that at the end. But this is a Jedfish podcast. This isn't all a right. Ryan Grubb podcast. Let's take them one at a time. Okay. Then. Number one is pedigree. So Jedfish looking at these different candidates, and this is all versus each other primarily, but also versus Ryan Grubb versus Kalen DeBoer. The pedigree that Jed Fish has being a coach in the NFL for so many years, being around those different programs, it's something that both experience that he's gained 
and something that he can use to pitch to recruits as well. But there are not many coaches out there who could have reasonably taken this University of Washington job who had coached under Pete Carroll, under Sean McVay, under Bill Belichick, and even all the way back under Brian Billick. That is an incredible. You didn't even mention pedigree. Jim Harbaugh because that wasn't and, in and the Jim NFL Harbaugh. at Michigan. By Dan Feldman, who keeps coming on up on this pod lately because Michigan has been intertwined with UW, congratulated me on UW hiring someone from the Jim Harbaugh tree. And I had to muse at the incongruity of the fact that Jed Fish could reasonably be described as being in both the Pete Carroll coaching tree and the Jim <laughs> yeah. Harbaugh coaching trees, which seem is diametrically opposed. They seem like trees that uh, create shade for each other rather than trees that could grow together. And, and this to me, Jed Fish feels like a different kind of coach than almost anybody we've seen. I mean, kicked around the NFL in college for basically two decades before ever being hired as a head coach, which is kind of a wild path that he took to his first coaching job being at the University of Arizona. Uh, but the time senior offensive assistant at with the Rams and then assistant offensive coordinator with the Rams. And to me, Say what you will about Sean McVay. Seeing them on the TV right now and what they've done with Husky legend Puka Nakua. Like, anybody who has spent a season offensively under Sean McVay, we saw it with Shane Waldron. We've seen it with so many other coaches throughout the NFL. That is somebody who you probably want in the building. You know what else he has? You didn't mention this in terms of way back. He also spent time under Mike Shanahan, so he's got a connection to the Shanahan tree somehow. The Mike, Sh- the Mike like, Shanahan one is kind of wild. That was like that all was of the offensive systems. Field. They connect together somehow through Jed Fish. I mean, so he doesn't bring the track record of championship success as a head coach that the Kansas candidates in particular brought. And that would have been an interesting comparison to Kalen DeBoer, who obviously had that track record at an even lower level than those two coaches did, in, the, in his case, the NAIA. I, I think that is useful, but it's not like this is a first-time head coach we're talking about. We have seen Jed Fish go out and win 10 games at Arizona and win a bowl game, uh, beat Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. So, you know, there's the championship level is going to be new to him, but there is a degree of success that he's accomplished that is different than if you were hiring a first time head coach. And, and I do think maybe there's some evidence that being very successful at lower levels is helpful as a head coach. And ultimately, I don't think any of these coaches were bad options. But this one, to me, when you take in the both college football, and this gets me to point number two, college football is both about your ability to coach on the field, but it's also largely about your ability to bring in players, to be a name, to market yourself. And a lot of the best coaches are the coaches who are able to do both of those things, to sell themselves very, very well. And to for Jed Fish to have been linked up with all of those different coaches along the way, it's something that parents and recruits definitely pay attention to. And they understand that that is people in the NFL. It's not, it's not a cosign from, you know, no offense, but like Jeff Tedford, there is a different level of a cosign when you're working under Pete Carroll, under Sean McVay, under Mike Shanahan of all names, that is a different level of cosign, which brings me to point number two, recruiting. Jed Fish, in a very short period of time at Arizona, you have to go back a couple of years to look at uh, his class, ranked number 25 in the country. I believe this is Jed Fish's first class uh, that it's he his, recruited. It's his first in full that class. class. He was he signed the 2021 class, but was hired as their head coach December 
23rd, 2020. So he's coming in way behind the game that season. And they predictably ranked 75th that season. But this is his first full recruiting class. I, I have it as 22nd per the 247sports.com composite. In his first full year as a recruiter at the University of Arizona, which we'll get to a third point about them, mind you, but not an easy place to recruit, goes out and signs the biggest recruit in Arizona history Correct. in his first ever class. That is a monster signing for him and goes out. I'm sure we'll talk about these two players later, but between Noah Fafita and Tedaro McMillan, two of the most important players in University of Arizona football history. Ultimately, in that first ever class, they weren't quite as strong after that in the recruiting classes, but still, he's basing this off of his name alone, ultimately, and Jed Fish's ability to go and recruit, to go out there and grab those players. He's also recruited in the state of Washington. I don't know if you'd seen this, uh, but a signing from Kent Ridge High School, right down the street from me just a year ago, and an incoming signing from Garfield High School as well. So ha has been in the city of Seattle and the state of Washington recruiting. Uh, who was a recruit in 2024 that they signed? It was like a, a solid recruit in the 2024 class who I assume has the ability to decommit now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah Rashawn, I assume it's pronounced Rashawn. Um, but Rayshon Clark from Garfield, a four-star, rated 90 on 24-7 sports. Seems to me like that's somebody the University of Washington would have been interested in bringing in. Somebody who they probably didn't pass on. And Jedfish came into Seattle and pulled him away from the University of Washington. So it's nice to know that he understands the territory, has been in Seattle. Some of the players, you know, we've seen the decommits that have happened. Jedfish is not somebody who I would say, we're going to let all these players go. These are players who are already in the mix, already imagining their lives at the University of Washington. I think Jed Fish is going to be able, at the very least, to go have those conversations. And he's somebody that, on the recruiting side, given what he was able to work with at Arizona, apples to apples, he probably is a better recruiter than Kalen DeBoer. And here's point number two about recruiting. Because recruiting college is not just about recruiting high school players. It's not just about recruiting players in the transfer portal. It's also about recruiting your own players while they are on your roster. Yep. And what Jed Fish achieved this last year by getting the commitment from Tedarello and McMillan and Noah Fafita to come back to Arizona. We'll see what happens with that. I don't want to speculate too much about it. But to get them to commit to come back. I think either of those players pretty pretty much could have gone to almost any program around the country. There's maybe two or three programs that they couldn't have gone to if they wanted to. But when you look at the years of eligibility left for both of those players and their success on the field, if they were in the transfer portal, we're talking about maybe the number one player, you know, like Noah Fafita has more years of eligibility than Dylan Gabriel has. He has more years of eligibility than Will Rogers has. And on-field success has been better than uh, uh, Will Nelson. Is that his name, right? The quarterback from Kansas State. Will so that, that to me was one of the big separators. Will Howard, yes. Um, when you look at Chris Kleiman, Lance Leopold kept their quarterback there. Coaches like that. Chris Kleiman already lost his quarterback. He wasn't able to do that. He was not able to keep Will Howard at Kansas State. Ended up transferring to Ohio State. Jed Fish at the University of Arizona, knowing that the money, I think we can assume from the outside and understanding some of the things that we understand about Arizona right now, 
didn't have the same kind of NIL money that many programs around the country would have had. If Cam Ward had $7 million offers on the table, uh, which, by the way, I, I feel Cam Ward coming back to college in my bones also. I knew that was a fake NFL commitment. But if, if Jed Fish was able to, with less resources at the University of Arizona, get those players to commit to come back, that is something very, very special that he was able to do there. And it points to what he was building at Arizona, but also those relationships that he had with those players. They came back not because of money, not because of program history. They came back because of what they were building and because of their relationship with Jedfish. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the context of recruiting at Arizona. Historically, this is a school that generally in the 24-7 sports composite has been in the 40s. Uh, they did have one class much better than that in the Rich Rodriguez era in 2014. They finished 30th. Mike Stoops had some really strong classes. I remember feeling back in the mid-2000s, maybe into the late 2000s, that it was kind of like a race between the UW under, uh, at that point, Steve Sarkeesian when he came in, and Arizona under Mike Stoops, which of these two programs that had been really good in the, in the 90s but had fallen way off in the early 2000s was going to get back to success. Uh, we We found out who ended up winning that race. It, it was UW. It took a while. But uh, then under Kevin Sumlin, the recruiting really fell off a cliff. They were in 2018, 61st, 2019, 60th, 2020, 65th. That was when uh, Fish came in and took over. And as you said, his first full class was 22nd, last two classes in the 40s. I do think that's also probably a level higher than the, the Kansas coaches were recruiting at. Like, you know, I do think that is probably an important distinguisher. And you mentioned him recruiting in Washington. To me, that's really not that important. If you're the University of Washington coach, you're going to figure out a way to recruit in the state of Washington the guys who, you know, want to come here and are not, you know, who are good enough to come here and are not really at that five-star can play anywhere level that you see the guys that went to Ohio State in the last few years. Like in that middle territory, you're always going to be able to recruit pretty well. What's really important to me is that Jed Fish has recruited California. The all yeah. these guys that you talked about, so Fafita and Tetaroa McMillan, I did not realize this until I was just looking it up, played together in high school along with one of their backup tight ends, Keon Burnett, and their leading tackler and leader in sacks, Jacob Manu, uh, is a versatile linebacker. All four of those guys signed together from Servite High School in California in the class of 2022. And obviously, you know, Arizona, much like Washington, your primary recruiting is coming from the state of California where you're competing against the guys who aren't ending up at USC, basically, or, or you know, being poached by another conference. Although now they now big, they are the Big 12. We are the Big 10. They are, they're all different conferences, I guess, now. But that's the same territory that you're going to be working as UW head coach. And I do think that was probably perhaps the single biggest factor that drove Troy Dannon towards Jed Fish as opposed to the Kansas coaches. I, you know, for better or worse, I do think that was really important to them. I want, I want to talk about what separates him as well at the end too. So the third point was on the, on the field achievements. It's one thing to recruit. It's one thing to have pedigree. Do you know how far back you have to go? to find an Arizona team that ranked as high as they ranked this last year. 1998, right? 1998. Trunk candidate is on the roster. The, the I mean, historical I mean, success at Arizona. When, when we talk about 1998 when, with UW, is the context. It's Ortiz Jenkins is the guy that you've got to mention. The famous flip into the, the uh, east end zone. 
at UW a little before we had season tickets, not a lot before we had season tickets, but uh, a truly memorable and brutal ending from the Huskies standpoint. But that again, that was the last time Arizona was relevant nationally before this season. Yeah, I mean, to even compare Arizona and UW in the 90s, I don't think it's a fair comparison as, as program history. But sure. since then, UW has been to multiple New Year's Six Bowls. Arizona hasn't even been close. The closest that they've come is this, I guess, the Fiesta Bowl in 2014. Uh, had gone six years without making a bowl game. Is that right? Five Five years without making a bowl game. Uh, had gone numerous years, I mean, even between that 1998 Dick Tomey season and the Rich Rod 2014 season, they didn't rank a single time in there at the end of the season. Like, this is a program that has been in the dumps for the last two decades, basically. And so for Jed Fish to have taken over and honestly relatively quickly transformed the program to being at the place for their beating Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl, with a young core, the the wins, how they increased year over year, and especially once they figured out with Noah Fafita, that to me is, it is a more impressive feat, honestly, than even what Kalen DeBoer did at the University of Washington. And I think the other pieces we talked about recruiting as well, he was doing it with his own players in a way that Kalen DeBoer wasn't doing it with his own players. This is a core at Arizona that Jed Fish went out and recruited, coached, and got them to the place that they comfortably beat. Oklahoma in that game. And that's the other piece of it. The on-field performance after losing to USC, I believe the week after losing to UW this past season, Arizona runs the table, including that victory versus Oklahoma. And they weren't doing it close most of the time. When you look at these games apples to apples versus what UW did against a lot of these teams, it is a more impressive season in a lot of ways. I'm not trying to diminish anything about what UW achieved, but there was a little bit of them just skating by. Like when Katie was mentioning that we won't have an offense as exciting as the offense was this last year. And I'm just like, do you not remember that Arizona state game? Do you not remember that if Cam Ward scrambles for five yards or whatever it was on a four on a third down that we're probably not talking about a college football playoff in that situation, but the way the absolute destruction of a ranked at a ranked Wazoo team, 44 to six, the victory versus UCLA, 27 to 10 against Utah, 42 to 18 against a Utah team that UW struggled to beat at home this past year. Again, I'm not saying that this was a better team than UW was, but some of these margins of victory were pretty significant in these games. And what Arizona was able to do and actually crushing teams, UW didn't crush anybody after Michigan State. I mean, Cal, I guess you could say the next weekend was a bit of a crushing, but I, I don't think this is as, I don't think the UW part of it is as important as you think it is. But yeah, I mean, look, Arizona was really good at the end of the season. And you can start with like, you mentioned that they lost to USC the week after playing UW, but the UW game was in many ways really the start of this. And, you know, I don't, I can't even remember if Troy Dannon had been hired as athletic director by this point, if he necessarily was following that. But Arizona giving UW as tough a time as they did at a point where that was wildly unexpected, I do think is something that factors into this. Like, it's not just offensively, they weren't great in that game. Fafita only averaged 5.9 yards per attempt. But uh, you go back to two years ago in in Seattle in a game that was one of the the highest scoring 
in recent Husky memory. Like they had no answer for this uh, Jed Fish offense with Jaden Delora at that point in the control. It's just barely got enough stops to end up winning that and overcome it with just the the sheer talent that, and you know execution that they had offensively in that one. So I do think having seen Jed Fish's offense do this against UW probably is a factor here in this decision as well. And and to me, that's kind of the most impressive thing. I mean, what was you where where was you dub for Noah Fafita starts? That was his second start, third start. It was definitely early on because at that point it was still Noah Fafita is being forced to play because Jaden Delora is out of the lineup rather than oh yeah, you know, Fafita's going to play anywhere, anytime, any place. Yeah, that was his first start. He had come in in relief his first in the start. Stanford game. And he had led them to the come from behind victory, but it only attempted four passes in that one. I mean, that's kind of an incredible moment that you look at for Arizona. Obviously, all the dominoes that have fallen to even be at this point that we're having this conversation is kind of wild. But the dominoes falling from there to the point that Jed Fish is hired as University of Washington head coach with the possibility of Noah Fafita possibly entering the transfer portal. And I think that's the piece that actually really, truly separates Jed Fish. All of the other stuff is there. The success, the pedigree, the recruiting. I think Jed Fish was building a very impressive program. And to me, Jan called me actually earlier and was like, aren't you so upset? Aren't you Aren't you mad at Kalen DeBoer? And I was like, of course I'm not mad at Kalen DeBoer. Like, it, it's, it's an absurd thing to think to be mad at Kalen DeBoer. But that he's a traitor to who? To the two years he spent in Seattle? And I think the same thing is going to happen in Arizona. This is how things happen. There has become in college football a clear pecking order. And I think that college football realignment has forced people to truly understand exactly where the program they cheer for stands, including UW joining the Big Ten at a different rate than USC and UCLA joined the Big Ten. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're worse on the field, but as far as pecking order and jobs go, I think we, pretty, we have a pretty confident understanding of where those things reign. But what Jed Fish achieved at Arizona, the, the way that I compared it was Arizona this year was UW 2022. When you look at what they did, a couple of, the, I mean, honestly, their losses are better than UW 2022's losses. But you have the frustrating loss to Mississippi State, and then all of a sudden they turn it on, a big victory versus a Big 12 team heading to the SEC in a solid but not major bowl game. And I mean, it was the same bowl. It was, they were both they were in the Alamo Bowl. In the Alamo Bowl against a very, very, very similar program. And I think Arizona, had they run this back with Jed Fish with this roster, I think they might have gone into next season as the favorites in the Big 12 with a chance, with a, a very good shot to make the playoff in the Big 12. And if what you can do is take some of that energy, whether it means players or not, and bring that to Seattle, what he had built, I think you have to take that shot. So... To me, it's such a slam dunk hire. Obviously, this isn't throwing any dirt on Kalen DeBoer, Kalen DeBoer's grave. I think Kalen DeBoer is also a good coach. I think you would be very hard-pressed, apples to apples, to say that Kalen DeBoer is definitively a better coach than Jed Fish, given everything that they had to work with. I mean, I suppose that's true. I one of the points we've been making over and over, you know, since Kalen DeBoer left is, look, people overstate the certainty that they have about coaches. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, if you go all the way back, I, it's hard to take your mind back this far to Tuesday 
uh, before any of this, these dominoes had started falling. Arizona was ranked ninth in the ESPN way too early college top 25. So that was two spots ahead of the Huskies at that point. And yes, clearly the, uh, the top team in what is becoming the big 12 next season. So the- I think, I think you also have to say, I, again, I don't want to speculate too much about Noah Fafita and Tetrao McMillan, but like, it does feel like there's a pretty good shot that they end up coming here if they were willing to stay in Arizona to play with Jed Fish next year and he's trying to move that to Washington, being able to play on that stage. Like, there's, it's not the, the worst pitch. I, I guess it depends whether they got the heads up before the meeting or they were part of the group that was reportedly upset about the meeting, how short it was. I, I think the two thoughts on that also. Number one, reporters in Arizona, have they weren't going to go into that. Reporting that players took it well. <laughs> they are incentivized to make it seem like players were very, very mad about it. Right? Like, they want to channel that anger because that's what they're feeling. And I think that reporters around the University of Washington probably did the same thing with Kalen DeBoer. They treated it like people were devastated. You saw some of the stories. We didn't see the same reports, although I think the the, the reporting around the UW program was more like, everyone is leaving. Oh, that's coming for Arizona. Just wait. But, like, the, there's, there's going to be the doom and gloom for a second, and then there's going to be, hey, there's actually a coach at the University of Washington. Number two, there are two tiers of players. I do not think Jed Fish did not contact Noah Fafita. I, I agree. And let him know that this might be going down. I get the feeling that there are different tiers of players. There's the roster in the same way. I mean, Kalen DeBoer didn't have that many players to even hypothetically take to Alabama because most of them were going to the NFL <laughs> already. But had he been with Michael Penix for another year of eligibility or known that Roma Dunze obviously wasn't, he might have even contacted Rome, but like all of those players were gone to the NFL either way. It's like, I just got to ask. I got to, I got to see if you possibly might be yeah, just, just going to throw it out there. But there, there are different tiers of those conversations that happen. So he was telling the group, the group was upset about it. There are a lot of players in the group. In the same way that there are not a lot of players at the University of Washington that have been rumored to be transferring to Alabama. There's a larger chunk in Arizona who could hypothetically transfer to the University of Washington. All right, I want to touch on one more point on Jed Fish before we get into kind of the rest of this conversation and the path that the Huskies chose not to go. And that is, I did a little research on fourth down decision making. I'm not 100% confident in my data here, but I was looking at situations that were fourth down in three or less in neutral situations, win probability between 10% and 90%. I only have data from last year's regular season. Uh, Of those examples, uh, last year, Jed Fish at Arizona went for it seven out of nine times, including a fourth and one from his own 29. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the stuff we like around here. Going for it from the 40 is one thing. Go for it from your own 29. Now we're talking. Kevin DeBoer went for it 10 out of 12 times in those scenarios. Dan Lanning, our fourth down king, was only 9 of 12. So wow. Jed Fish percentage-wise. Hashtag Dan Lanning washed. <laughs> the Kansas coaches, by comparison, were substantially more conservative. There was one at 50%, one at 64%. I've I've forgotten which was which because it no longer really matters to me. These dudes are coaching in Kansas. Like I've I just if we're being honest with ourselves, also I don't think Jed Jed Fish isn't young, but like 
the Kansas coaches were just a tier older. Uh, that's great to hear. So you're basically saying to expect fourth down aggressiveness wise to be about the same. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's reason to expect that, which is, I think one of our criteria, I don't think it's more important. This is a conversation that obliquely came up in the discord about the idea of Pete Carroll being the, the Huskies head coach. Like, Fourth down decision making is important, and it's one of the things that a coach can control the most. At the college level, it's much more important at the NFL level because you don't get to pick your players. I mean, Pete Carroll had certain influence, and also the quality of players you get is limited by these things called the salary cap in the draft. In college football, like having a coach who can get you all the best players is way more important than anything else because you have so much control oh, over the that. whole sport is rigged toward Pete Carroll. It is 100% like set up Fort P. Carroll to be a beast in college. But all things considered better to be aggressive on fourth down than not. Okay. And that's, that's the last piece though, is you have, you have the three things that I mentioned, you have the fourth down decision-making, you have the players who could hypothetically transfer. And then you have his relationship with, Offensive coordinator, Brennan Carroll, son of Pete. There's a rumor that Troy Dannon and Pete Carroll were meeting yesterday in Bellevue. I have no idea whether that's true or not. I saw that and I was like, oh, he's vetting Jed Fish. Jed Fish is the guy. He's vetting, vet he's vetting Jed Fish because his son obviously works there. He worked under Pete. There is a relationship here. Pete Carroll is going to be in the building. Pete Carroll is going to have influence at the University of Washington. And that, assuming Brennan Carroll follows Jed Fish, which I'd be surprised if he didn't. Uh, he'd either basically have to get similar to Ryan Grubb, get the job at Arizona or follow him to Seattle. Having Pete Carroll in the building, even just around having the, the history legacy, all of the players in the Seahawks orbit be around the university of Washington and tighten that relationship. That is something that is very, very important and will be very helpful for Jed fish because of those situations. When you're having those conversations about NIL, bringing players in recruits, transfers, having any sort of influence and any sort of history with Pete Carroll is going to be an amazing thing. So the reporting is of Sunday indicates that basically UW's entire offensive coaching staff is headed to Alabama with Kalen DeBoer, including Ryan Grubb after he was passed over for the UW head coaching job. I haven't heard a lot about the defensive coaches who obviously that has not been the someone also just lost to DC who we know well. Are you aware of this? No, I don't think I do know this. Their defensive coordinator is Johnny Nansen, who is defensive coordinator under Steve Sarkeesian, who left to become defensive coordinator under Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Wait, what happened to Pete Kwiatkowski? I don't know. I, he's co-DC. Co-DC, okay, So I think yeah. they might have just smushed him together. Yes. They did They did the Jimmy Lake thing to Pete Kwiatkowski again? Yeah, they did the Jimmy Lake thing. <laughs> I mean, it seems to be the co-DC thing is kind of happening a little bit more often in college. It, it but is, yes. It, it was it, one of those where I was like, oh, if we could have had Johnny Nansen come back as well, that might have been pretty interesting. So the other coach at Arizona that I'm really keeping an eye on, technically not a coach, is their director of player personnel, Matt Doherty, who served in that same role at Miami a couple of stints previously, was also the recruiting coordinator at Michigan under Jim Harbaugh when he first started, then subsequently was replaced down the road by Courtney Morgan, who became the Huskies GM when Kalen DeBoer was hired and was on the private jet. He was the only one who was on the private jet with Kalen DeBoer when it landed I thought in that Tuscaloosa. I... Look, just don't hire him to be the head coach at North Carolina and you're good. Uh, I I think that, you know, that position has become so important. We talked 
we just said recruiting uh, yeah, the i think quality Morgan was you get, in a very important figure at the university of washington yeah the quality of players you get is more important than what you do with them at the college level and now that uh, especially with the importance of evaluating potential transfers with the relaxed restrictions on transfers that becoming more important it has started to become more nfl style where there are separate roles for evaluating players you don't necessarily have to call it a gm as they don't director of player but director of player personnel is like a part of an nfl front office and so matt doherty has a pretty good background was presumably a big part of that uh, strong recruiting class that uh, Jed Fish had at Arizona and hope to see him following Jed Fish to UW. Would be great. I, I guess uh, last piece on Jed Fish. To me, if people are looking for hope right now, if people were feeling down on this, and this is the way that I was feeling, obviously, I had, the, I had a few hours of mild grief about Alan DeBoer before this, before pivoting back to positivity, was... Uh, I think in the year 2024, should a handful of players follow Jed Fish from Arizona to the University of Washington, we can be pretty confident that there is a higher likelihood of them being a team that is competing for the playoff in 2024 than they would have been under Kalen DeBoer. I don't think I can get there because I still think you're you're probably likely to see some defensive attrition that you would not have seen under Kalen DeBoer or even, you know, had there been continuity under Ryan Grubb. I agree that, you know, if Noah Fafita ends up transferring to UW, which is far from a certainty that offensively, he, their upside is a lot higher than it would have been with Will Rogers. How much defensive Nash. attrition is there really? I mean, I, I think we have to be serious about that, about who Kalen DeBoer had signed is such a strange somebody mentioned a contract in like one of the tweets about players and i was like we could just call this what it is but like they were like he got a bigger contract at this school and it's like yeah that's that's what we're building towards here the quarterback that kaylin i i had accepted out of blind loyalty to kaylin DeBoer. i like that Bill rogers did the independent research you came around to what i said originally about all no, of these things the the thing the thing that was stressful to me was I knew you were right about Will Rogers deep down, and I, I was just hoping, I was hoping that you were wrong. It would be very Does funny that make if sense? after all of this, Will Rogers still ends up staying at UW. UW, I mean, who knows? Right, like, right now, right now, the bold prediction that Austin Mack was going to start more games than than Will Rogers is uh, off the board. I, the you, the bold predictions are really we, we are were complicated. So, insufficiently bold with our predictions this year <laughs> of my oh yeah the Seahawks are going to change defensive coordinators and hire Sean Desai <laughs> a lot of bold things have happened in the 14 days of 2024 what a year 11 but the quarterback that Kalen DeBoer went out and got in the portal is a lot worse statistically maybe he would be better under Kalen DeBoer a lot worse than basically every other team at a similar level around the country. He did not have this team set up to be successful after these players left. If we're being completely honest with ourselves, 2024 was going to be a rough year. I had talked to myself and everybody else into thinking it was okay. It wasn't okay. Will Rogers was not a good quarterback at Mississippi State. And if you replace that with somebody who were to know if he did finish eighth in QBR, there, there is a reality. I don't know if Noah Fafita is an NFL quarterback. I don't know if Michael Penix is an NFL quarterback. Apples to apples, 
by age, Noah Fafita is three years younger, I want to say, than Michael Penix. And already by QBR is a better quarterback. Like, that is, it would be an incredible thing to flip Michael Penix for somebody who would be the number one or two prospect in the portal at quarterback this year. You have to admit that. And if that's something that happens, I think we should be extraordinarily excited because bringing in a quarterback like Noah Fafita, we had Noah Fafita envy. And I sat and watched Arizona beating Oklahoma in that game, and I cheered for Arizona, and I was excited about it. And I was like, I love that team at Arizona because they're so fun and so young. And you're and like, so that's not going to be in the Pac-12. Exactly. I didn't have to be scared of them either. But to to have watched that game and then had a possible chance to have brought something like that to Seattle is kind of an incredible thing. And I think again. We will never know because everything has been shuffled so much. If you could run through a simulation of what next year at Arizona looks like versus next year at the University of Washington, had these programs come back the same, Arizona's a better team. I mean, I, I do think one thing... Arizona had a much higher chance of making the playoffs than UW had and had a better quarterback than UW was probably having. So... I do think one thing we should say, like, especially as it relates to that attrition of the current roster piece of this, the... Washington Athletic Department can't make this decision based on 2024. They have to make this decision based on the next next decade. Or, you know, even if Jed Fish isn't part of the program that long, because, yes, if Jed Fish is successful, he's probably going to take another job somewhere else. But that I was true the, probably any of okay, these guys. I don't want to hear your point, but also I, I fucking hate the mentality where it's like, oh, he's just waiting around for another job. It's like, we should be so lucky that he is good enough to get that other job. I mean, look at where you ended up out of this. What a horrible situation. The team might be good and we might be have fun along the way. Everybody could always take another job. If the Huskies in 2021 had hired the Jed Fish, you know, if you can take him in a time time machine and put his current resume in 2021, if the Huskies would have hired him to replace Jimmy Lake, do you know how excited we would have been? And they came out five and a half million dollars richer in the deal Based on the uh, buyout clauses and in the two, excuse me, 3-0 against Oregon. Whatever has to happen, if they could beat Oregon for a period of time, I don't care where the coach ends up. But not even looking backwards, just from a looking forwards, like where you're set up to go standpoint, the Huskies are in so much better of a position than they were than they hired Kalen DeBoer. And that's because of Kalen 100%. DeBoer. And thank him for that. And I think what, you know, you mentioned fans have to come with to terms with the reality of where their programs are. They do not have to come to that reality. <laughs> and they have it's... aggressively not come to that <laughs> they, reality. They, they will not come to that reality. <laughs> have not and will not. But I think if you're thinking of it from like an ethical fandom standpoint and a reasonable right expectation standpoint, the correct way to think of this is it's like soccer and it's like the transfer market there. You don't like, Oh, well, we can't sign a really good player as the young player as the Sounders because perhaps he's going to want to get transferred to Europe in a few years. Like, that's amazing. What an awesome outcome if that happens. You make a bunch of money on the transfer fee and you had this great time with him here. And that's exactly what happened with Kalen DeBoer. They made a bunch of money on the buyouts are the equivalent of transfer fees in coaching ranks. And we had a great time along the way. So, you know, let's not be upset about where things are from that standpoint. But... To go back to my original point, again, they have to be thinking it, 10 it years also, down the road, okay. not just what's best in 2024. <laughs> yeah. And I do think 
That's why the most interesting piece of this and where Troy Dannon is really staking his reputation is not the choice of Jed Fish relative to Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman, who, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it's not like we're spending a lot of time thinking about Matt Campbell since the Huskies didn't get him and ended up hiring Kalen DeBoer in 2021. We're just worried about our own shit. Ryan Grubb will loom over Jed Fish if things go poorly, especially because, you know, at least next year, you know, he's probably going to be coaching a very good offense at Alabama. And that I think to me will be the path not taken. And it's such a fascinating choice because look, nobody is going to know Ryan Grubb's ability to translate what he's done as an offensive coordinator in concert with Kaylin DeBoer to running his own program better than UW. And the fact that they chose not to hire him is to me very interesting. Yeah, I I still think I, it's hard to say exactly what the right decision is, but Ryan Grubb might have maintained some of the current roster, and Ryan Grubb probably generally would be in the image of Kalen DeBoer as a head coach. I just don't know if there's enough evidence and enough history of Kalen DeBoer. It's a risk that Alabama took hiring Kalen DeBoer. Like I think we can all accept that he has not. It's two years, uh, two years at Fresno State, right? Or three. Two years at Fresno State, two years at the University of Washington. Very successful in those time periods. But Keelan DeBoer doesn't have 15 years of success somewhere where you could point to it and be like, that is the name. He's going to do this anywhere he goes. And I think that's what matters a lot. The Ryan Grubb that gets hired eventually, things go well at Alabama for everybody. Ryan Grubb gets hired somewhere else. The Ryan Grubb that gets hired then is not the same as the Ryan Grubb that gets hired in Seattle. So I think it's a little bit hard to do that because all of a sudden he's now Alabama offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb. And that is a different job than being University of Washington offensive coordinator, Ryan Grubb. When you're using that because of what we talked about and how your name matters in college football, that he's he's able going to set things up better for himself with that history or not. But this is assuming things go well. So I don't think you can actually compare those two things. I don't think you could say Ryan Grubb would have had if he's successful wherever he goes. Also, you're talking about so many years down the road. Like, there'll be another year in Alabama. Maybe he gets a job after that. Then you need three to four years to really assess whether Ryan Grubb is a good coach or not. Like, that is too far down the road to even have a comparison. This is this is not the way that people actually analyze these decisions. If things go poorly for Jed Fish, whatever the Huskies' path untaken was would have automatically worked. Now, that's wrong, sure. but that's the way people evaluate decisions, and that will hang over him undoubtedly for some period of time. I mean, how big of a deal that that will be, who I, knows? I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't even think about it. Who did the Huskies not hire when they hired Jimmy Lake? I mean, that's, that's less clear. That's what I'm saying is, again, Matt, you know, the outside there's nobody candidate. publicly saying they wanted to be the coach, <laughs> tweeting that they wanted to be the coach yeah. and then being rejected for it. And nobody who was a huge part of their success. I mean, I guess the answer is uh, they, they could have told Jonathan Smith he was the head coach in waiting a year earlier before he left for the Oregon State job. But I think he was probably going to take that one either way. Although maybe he isn't. As, it turned out he wasn't as loyal to Oregon State as we thought he was. Uh, yeah, lo loyalty. I, that is kind of funny where people are just like so consumed with the concept of loyalty. People were pissed at Jonathan Smith also for leaving that job, uh, uh, which uh, probably made more sense than anything. Yeah, I mean, you talked about Kalen DeBoer not owing UW in Seattle anything. Jonathan Smith's relationship with Oregon State was a little bit different, I would say, and also the way that he went about it. You mentioned that there were, like, in the offline, that there were, like, completely unsubstantiated rumors that Kalen DeBoer 
interviewed for the Alabama job in Houston ahead of the college football playoff championship, to which I ascribe almost zero credibility. But like Jonathan Smith admitted publicly that he knew he was going to take the Michigan State job before they lost to Oregon in his final game as head coach. That I think uh, left some raw emotions. Like there's not really, as you you sort of alluded to with the Jed Fish reporting uh, about his final meeting, like people are always say they're mad about the meeting, but they're actually just mad that you left. Like that's that's yeah. the case, but there definitely is a wrong way to yeah. do it. And it seems like Jonathan Smith found the wrong way to do it. <laughs> He's the only one who found the very wrong way. That's fine. To, to me, when I look at this hire and I look at all the options, Ryan Grubb, Lansley, Chris Kleiman, Jonifer, Pete Carroll. I, to me, this is the one that I'm most excited about out of all of them. I like Jonathan Smith. I think he's a good coach. I think both of the Kansas guys, considering what they've achieved in the state of Kansas, and and you talk about the history, the lack of success, the history of a program like what Lance Leopold has achieved at Kansas, is extraordinarily impressive. But given where all the coaches were, the current rosters, and what they'd achieved in the different places, to me, I was it was Jed Fish all the way. He was the option. So. We have no idea if it's going to work out. It's probably going to depend on a number of circumstances if things will work out, and it kind of always does in college football. Somebody's success depends on on where they're at, luck a lot of the time, and ultimately we probably won't know for a handful of years, but I do think in this moment, UW made the best out of a bad situation with their head coach leaving the week after they lost in the national championship game. And I'm excited about the Jed Fish era. Do we want to do five minutes on the state of the Seahawks coaching search and the way the Cowboys season ended on Sunday? Oh, I mean, I, I hope that it matters. Look, I don't think either of us was excited about Dan Quinn to begin with and, and the return, the, the continuation of Pete Carrollism. Uh, and I do think just how publicly terrible the Cowboys defense was in that playoff game. I I think it would be a really hard sell to fans to be like, we got our guy. We got him. Like, <laughs> remember him? He was the coach here and then he was fired, but he was the Cowboys defensive coordinator. And don't, you know, there were some games before then, but like, I think it would be a really, really hard pitch to fans that it's basically the continu- a continuation of Pete Carroll. People love Pete Carroll. Seeing the King 5 ads or whatever, the thanks Pete ads, I'm just like, damn. Like, I cannot imagine almost any other coach getting that treatment. But, and Pete Carroll, also, just when you see that Jed Fish was the offensive coordinator under Pete Carroll in 2010, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. Bonkers. Pete was here a long time, or the quarterback's coach. Uh, he Pete has been here forever. But at the same time, like in New England, where you have Gerard Mayo taking over for Bill Belichick, it feels like you're kind of just getting a continuation of Belichick. And I don't think that's what the Seahawks need. I think they need a organizational reset rather than just trying to do the same thing a little bit better. And I think, fortunately, the, the Cowboys' performance would be such a hard pitch. I'm expecting Mike McCarthy to be fired within the next 48 hours. Uh, and if you're looking at a defensive coordinator who's coaching under a head coach who just got fired, that is really not a great situation to hire a head coach. So if it means that Dan Quinn is not choice number one or if he's a little bit more out of the mix, I think that is a very, very positive thing. And we also saw some coordinators, one that's going on right now, I haven't seen a score, but who are looking very, very tasty 
right now. Yeah, I mean, Ben Johnson's Detroit offense has slowed down considerably in the second half. They still lead the Rams 24-23 as we record this midway through the fourth quarter. But uh, Bobby Slovic in particular. (laughs) Well, yes, you need to stop ranting so that we can actually wrap up this podcast. What Houston did to a very good Cleveland defense on Saturday, you talk about like, you know, I don't even need to do the interview. Like, just watch this tape. I did my interview. Thanks. Call me when you're ready to hire me. Oh, yeah. My agent is up Rookie quarterback. But like some CJ Stroud is him, but like those receivers were open on these plays. Like all CJ Stroud had to do was hit him. And I can tell you Geno Smith can do that. If Geno Smith is the quarterback, he can make those throws. So I to me, I I would be so excited about that. But the other thing was just seeing what the Packers did to the Cowboys. And I guess hypothetically speaking, Mike McCarthy's an offensive coach, but he just doesn't feel like one. What Matt LaFleur has accomplished there and the amount of offenses that are left, right? When you look across the NFC, it's off- it's offensive coach in Green Bay. It's one of these two teams that win this Lions game are offensive coaches. They're all kind of from the same tree. And Bobby Slovak, I think, could be from the same tree that Matt LaFleur went into Dallas and did something the Seahawks would love to do, stomp them on offense. To me, Matt LaFleur is actually, I was never really that like convinced about Matt LaFleur. And this game and this end of this season and what he's done with Jordan Love was like, oh yeah, let's go find somebody. I think the picture that even comes up when you Google Bobby Slovak is like him with Washington in the same way that you always see those photos of the, of the Redskins at the time staff. And it's like all of those coaches being there. It almost feels like, I don't know if he was, I don't assume he wasn't part of that staff, but it feels like he was honorarily when you see that. So that would be the one that excite. I actually would probably be more excited about that, maybe even than Ben Johnson. But but I think, as you said, LaFleur is kind of proof of concept of the like offensive coaches, nurture a young quarterback. You can have multiple eras, that sort of thing. And, and that's why it's so important. To, wanted to reflect on two things, though. Number one, Third Pelton Brothers actor Ball mentioned in the Discord, you know, how he felt this disconnect between very much wanting the Huskies to hire a proven head coach and wanting the Seahawks to hire a first-time coach who's been a coordinator. And I think that's a functioning part of like the way it works in college and the way it works in the NFL. It's not like the Seahawks it's get the to go piece that I'm talking about. It's not like exactly. the Seahawks go, go, get to go poach D'Amico Ryans from Houston because Houston had a good season, but the Texans aren't as good an organization <laughs> no, as the Seahawks it's are. It's more like if you hire D'Amico Ryans, you don't also get C.J. Stroud, and you don't also get to go out and get all of the other players that they can go get. That, to me, is the difference. Pete Carroll doesn't come with players. Pete Carroll would come with players to college. He would find those players. But, like, it's it's the it's, it's rigged is not the right word, but, like, you're able to go grab players in a way because of your name in college that you can't in the NFL. In the NFL, but this is not at all what I'm talking about. There's contracts, and you have what I'm talking about is in the NFL, if you're going to fire hire someone with head coaching experience, by definition, that coach got fired from their last job. And that doesn't yes. mean they're a bad coach. Yes. Pete Carroll got fired by two teams. Bill Belichick was fired by the Cleveland Browns before he went to the Patriots and became the most successful coach in NFL history. But it's a little different from, hey, we get to pick whoever's been had this track record of winning wherever they go, but has never coached at this level before. That's, to me, the difference. Uh, the second point I wanted to make here is yeah. 
I forgot what the second point was. I, I do think that Gerard Mayo is not a continuation of Bill Belichick. Oh, the second point I wanted to make is you look at the Seahawks. I was thinking about this because the last time the Seahawks and Huskies fired coaches simultaneously, I guess had job openings because Kevin DeBoer didn't get fired simultaneously was when the Huskies hired Rick Neuheisel and the Seahawks hired Mike Holmgren within days of each other. And that made me think that like, if you look at the last three head coaches, the Seahawks have hired, like since Paul Allen came to town, they went out and got the biggest college coach possible. Actually, if you go back to Dennis Erickson, they got the biggest college coach possible twice in Dennis Erickson and Pete Carroll. They got a, a an active NFL head coach. They did do that thing with Mike Holmgren when they were able to hire him as a free agent away from the Packers by giving him control of player personnel at the time. That's not an option presumably now because John Schneider is the one who's do, conducting the search rather than cleaning the house entirely is in those situations. But it does make me wonder to what degree Seahawks ownership and Jody Allen is still invested in going out and getting Jim Harbaugh and making that kind of splash. Belichick would be the other splashy hire. He, I, he does not seem as likely for the Seahawks to me. I I I think I just really feel like Harbaugh's ending up in L.A. and and Belichick might end up in Dallas, but I think this might be a different search than those ones in the past. Well, it'll be interesting if they will. The reason that I feel differently than you, I suppose, is that I just think your name matters so much in college, and that's why an Urban Meyer or whatever maybe he's a good coach, but like. Urban Meyer, when if he ended up being a head coach at any program, that program becomes one of the top five programs because Urban Meyer can go get the players. All of these those level coaches, that's why Kalen DeBoer is a question mark at Alabama. I don't know if Kalen DeBoer can go get the players necessarily, but if it's Urban Meyer, if it's Nick Saban, if it's coaches like that, they can just go do it. Like It took Jim Harbaugh a short period of time. There was no doubt that Jim Harbaugh was going to get to being uh, – hyper national level program at Michigan. You know, he turned Michigan back into one of the best programs in the country because he's Jim fucking Harbaugh. That matters. And I think that matters more in college than it does in the NFL. And I think you just because you're able to pick your players so much more and get people to rally behind you and the successes that you've already have is you're, how you do it. Not you're hope. talking about this is if you are hiring the Seahawks head coach. You're not hiring the Seahawks head coach. No, no, and I'm talking about you. why I feel why I feel better about Pete Carroll in college versus the NFL. Why I feel better about a more experienced name in college. I, I still don't think that? this is. I, I think it's all true. I still don't think it's at all relevant to actually engaging the question. So, what do you mean about why you would want a more experienced coach in 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 the NFL? What you need is you need the right system, and the rest is going to take care of itself. You okay. need a quarterback and a system. Done. That to me is it. When you, I, it's kind of the success. You keep That's arguing is in the NFL. someone else is taking the position that it's a bad idea to hire a coordinator in the NFL, I guess is what I'm saying here. <laughs> no, I'm not. And I'm we're not like 45 that, no. minutes into our saying, fourth emergency podcast. Why, I don't think we need this particular argument. Different. Anyway, that's fine. Uh, the Offense matters in the NFL. See, seeing the Browns defense, how bad they are on the road and how good they are at home. It's just like, this shit isn't consistent. Most offenses are good everywhere. Jordan Love, most offenses are good everywhere. So uh, I strongly hope that they end up with a coach like that. I'm not convinced of it. I think they've got a step further today. So thank you to the Packers for doing that. On that note, we'll be back with the regular weekly podcast. We'll see when and if we have a Seahawks coach. We'll probably <laughs> have some more information on what the Huskies 2024 roster will be like. And who knows? You know, Mike maybe... Hopkins gets off the tarmac. <laughs> well, 
don't I don't think that's happening mid season. But not not a great Sunday for UW, <laughs> UW basketball. Period. The women yeah. losing to Washington State as well. So we'll see that that may be coming down the road. Uh, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Go dogs. You can't be like, hey, I, I want to go watch the, the game and then spend tw- 10 minutes on this rant. You asked a question. I answered the question. You threw out a question. You act like I wasn't answering it. I just had a different answer than you. Is that not okay? But like, it's, I mean, the name brand piece of it, but it's not like Jade Fish. You, you seem to think he's coming in with more of a brand than I do. I think you can have a brand without being... You know, your brand can be not having a brand. That was Chris Peterson's brand, basically. He has, he has more of a brand than Ryan Grubb has. I think Ryan Grubb has more of a brand than you think he is because his brand is, we just went to the call it football playoff championship. I don't know. Did you see the guy who finished second in Heisman? I coached him. I called the plays. That's his brand. I, I actually think that the current players piece of it, I think they wanted to trust, trust all of the everything about the coach and everything. I think the idea of bringing in some of those current players was a big piece of this too. And I do think the Pete Carroll piece is also a big piece. Like it just, the thing, the stars aligned very nicely for the Huskies and Jetfish. Let's hope so.